Welcome to James Lang's Retire Secure Podcast, where smart money talks. For those that don't know, James Lang has begun holding virtual events in place of his in-person workshops to maintain social distancing safety parameters due to COVID-19. The following is a special rebroadcast from a previous virtual event, specially selected for you, the listener. Stay tuned at the end for instructions on how to schedule an appointment with Jim or how to reserve your spot in Jim's upcoming virtual event. And now, Jim Lang. Good morning and welcome to our December 2020 webinar series. The SECURE Act became law effective January 1st of this year, and as a result, millions of Americans who stand to inherit IRAs and retirement plans are now at risk of having that inheritance significantly reduced by income tax acceleration. Jim Lang, your webinar host, predicted that legislation like the SECURE Act was coming more than five years ago, and since then, he's devoted his talent and expertise and that of our firm's other seasoned CPAs to developing strategic solutions that retirement plan owners can deploy to protect their financial legacies. Those strategies are the subject of our webinar today, and Jim has already helped hundreds of clients implement them as part of their holistic financial master plans. My name is Erica Hubbard. I'm the content marketing manager at the Lang Financial Group, and I wanted to start today's webinar with a brief introduction. I've actually known Jim my entire life because my dad has been close friends with him ever since they were roommates and on the chess team together during their undergraduate years. But it's only been since I started working here at Lang about three years ago that I've had the opportunity to get a behind the scenes look at the work that Jim does for our clients. And one thing that I learned very quickly is how much Jim cares about our future and existing clients. He goes above and beyond to leverage his decades of experience and provide recommendations that are tailored for their unique situations. I've learned so much from Jim about things like safe spending analysis, flexible estate planning, Roth conversion analysis, and so much more. And I've seen how these strategies can be harnessed to save hundreds of thousands for our clients and their families. But some of the most powerful and life-changing recommendations that I've seen aren't necessarily the kind that cut taxes or improve portfolio ROI. When making recommendations and helping you formulate your financial master plan, Jim and our team of expert attorneys and CPAs really take your personal values, goals, and dreams into account which often results in unexpected but life-changing advice. Imagine that you just got back from a fabulous family vacation that you enjoyed so much that you and the family decided to make it an annual tradition, just as your financial advisor, Jim Lang, recommended. The shared memories of these family vacations will be part of the legacy that you leave to your children and grandchildren. Many of our clients are now taking their families on these kinds of vacations and they're using their money to buy experiences. Don't get me wrong, developing the perfect long-term Roth IRA conversion plan that saves hundreds of thousands in taxes is great too. But being able to get both types of perspectives from your trusted advisor is invaluable. And I really think it's what sets Jim and our firm apart from other financial and estate planning firms. Okay, before I wrap up my introduction and let Jim get started, I'd like to go over the schedule for all four of the webinars that we're offering today and tomorrow. 
Our first webinar today, entitled The Best Estate Plan for Married IRA Owners After the Secure Act, begins now and goes until noon Eastern time. Then, our second webinar today will be a question and answer session with Jim. That will begin at 12.30 Eastern time, and Jim will be taking pre-submitted questions and questions from the live room. Tomorrow, our first webinar entitled Urgent Action for Tax Savvy IRA and Retirement Plan Owners to Take Before Year End will start at 10 a.m. and go until noon. And our second webinar tomorrow will be a live Q&A with Larry Suedro and Adam Yofan of Buckingham Strategic Wealth. That will begin at 12.30, and Adam and Larry will be answering pre-submitted and live room questions on investing, wealth management, preservation, and more. If you'd like to register for any or all of this week's other webinars, just visit iraseminar.com forward slash pgh. And now, without further ado, your webinar host, my boss, and an eight-time best-selling author whose strategies have been endorsed by the Wall Street Journal 36 times, please welcome Jim Lang. It was 2 a.m., and I got the call. My business was literally on fire. I drive to my business and I watched the flames engulf the building and I knew that there was trouble. The good thing was, even though I pretty much lost every physical thing in the business, we had complete backup for all our computer files we were very well insured, not only for the damage of the fire, but also lost profits. And we were actually up and running within days in another office. And the reason I'm starting this webinar like this is because it is critical to get all your ducks in a row, if you will, get everything as organized and as prepared for any kind of catastrophe, whether it be sickness, death, um, something with a family member so that you can uh, recover uh, from this type of catastrophe. And even if you're not here, your family can appropriately carry on. So what we're going to do today is we're going to get into what I believe is the best estate plan for particularly married IRA owners. And we will also touch on um, let's say IRA owners who are single, who are not married. But this webinar is really for people who have IRAs, retirement plans, 401ks, 403bs, SEPs, KIOs, et cetera. And probably when, that, when those types of retirement plans and the thing that they all have in common is that nobody has yet paid income taxes on that money. And unless you leave the money to charity, someday somebody will pay income taxes on all that money. So this webinar is for people who have that kind of money and potentially that's the majority of their estate. And for people who are not only interested in protecting themselves and if they're married, their spouses, but also they're interested in protecting the next two generations. Um, we're going to be talking about what I think is the best estate plan, and we'll talk about variations, but the primary plan will revolve around what I call the Leave it to Beaver family. Original husband, original wife, same kids from the husband and wife, not the, 
you know, children from his first marriage or the love child from the 60s from uh, when she had a good time, but actually the, the, if you will, traditional family unit. So just out of curiosity, um, and I, I don't know the numbers, but I know we have at least a couple hundred people on right now. How many here would describe their family as a leave it to beaver? That is original husband, original wife, same kids. Maybe we'll get a report on that in a few minutes. But if you can, you know, there should be a chat box that you can even either just say uh, yes or no um, if you are married and have the same children as your spouse. That'll give me an idea of who is on the webinar. The other people that will benefit the most from this webinar are people who what we call are data-driven. So that means that if they are shown a promising idea, they will keep an open mind to it. Um, we find that we work with a lot of very, very bright clients and prospects, and we find that, uh, and, and just by the nature of my marketing and my quantitative approach, we tend to attract very smart people. And I'll say that, that they can maybe be uh, let's say, differentiated by two factors. Um, one are people who would, I would call data-driven, meaning if they see something that wasn't consistent with their worldview or their financial view, and they are shown spreadsheets and sufficient proof, then they are willing to consider changing their mind. And perhaps more importantly, and this is another great attribute of people who are watching this webinar, is if they are willing to do something, willing to take action. Because with the SECURE Act, and we're going to get into the details, we're really talking about a massive government confiscation of your IRA and retirement plan after you're gone. And if you don't do anything, it's just going to be devastating to your family. But fortunately, there are things that you can do, and that's what this webinar is going to be about. And the best people that will benefit from this webinar are people who are willing to um, maybe see something that they didn't see before and then actually take act action. Um, so what do many of you want? What if you could just make, wave a magic wand? What would really make you happy? And I'm just going to take a guess for, for many. It would be to take steps uh, to maximize your wealth before year end. And we are going to emphasize before year end strategies, more so on tomorrow's webinar, uh, which is what I would call the living part. This is more what I'll call the dying part. Um, but to do what is necessary before year end. Then get a, the best, we call it a financial master plan, um, which includes estates, trusts, IRA beneficiary designations, uh, Roth IRA conversions, how much you can spend, uh, and a plan going forward for yourself and your family. And to me, that would be a great thing for many people to have. And then, and it's not going to happen overnight, but let's just say in the next two to six months that the master plan can be implemented. The Roth IRA conversions can be accomplished. The new wills, the new trusts, new IRA beneficiary designations can be finished. And for whatever it's worth, and I've been doing this 35 years, there's a great sense of relief after these things are put in place and, uh, if you will, your affairs are in order. 
So specifically, what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about the best estate plan for married IRA owners after the SECURE Act. Uh, we'll talk a little bit uh, about what is new in estate planning because it's actually quite significant. This is a, a much different webinar than I would have done even a year ago. Um, although a year ago I was, and even for the last five years, I kept saying, hey, this new law is coming, this new law is coming. It was a little bit like the boy who cried wolf because I kept saying it's going to come, it's going to come, and it kept not coming. And now finally it came and now I'm Nostradamus. But we're going we're gonna to talk about, um, the, let's say, the new aspect of the law and what should be done uh, both before year end and after year end. So we're going to go into a little bit of the details of the SECURE Act. We're going to talk about the cost of doing nothing. And that's really significant because the cost of doing nothing has never been greater in estate planning. In other words, in prior years, if you didn't really get it just right, I'm not saying that you'd have a good result, but it wouldn't be nearly as devastating as it would be with the new law. And then we're also going to talk about the details of what I consider the best estate plan for IRA retirement plan owners who have this traditional, what I'll call, leave it to beaver family. Um, by the way, we do have time for some questions, uh, not a lot. We'll have um, obviously two hours of questions at 12.30 Eastern. The other thing that we're gonna talk about isn't anything new, but it is newly beneficial which is a charitable remainder trust as the beneficiary of your IRA and retirement plan. We're going to go and get into the numbers, but basically this is a trust that um, instead of leaving your IRA or retirement plan to your children or grandchildren, you leave it to a charitable remainder trust. And in many cases, your children are actually going to be better off uh, than if you just left it to them directly. Uh, then finally, we have some really cool bonuses, some that were announced and some that uh, are, let's call it a surprise, if you stay till the end of the webinar. We're gonna, we have some new material this year. Uh, frankly, it was some things that I came up with when I was writing uh, the new book, Beating the New Death Tax, and so actually some things that I came up with in practice uh, that I'm just so excited about that I want to talk about. So we're going to talk about that, and it's going to be those things are going to be really good if you have children of unequal financial strength. Um, we're going to have some strategies for that. We're going to have some strategies if you are married and have children from a previous marriage. So that's not the Leave It to Beaver, but that is still um, a large part of our audience, and unfortunately, maybe 50% of our future marriages. And then we will talk about some multi-generational uh, wealth transfers from grandparents directly to grandchildren. So what can you expect from me today? The first thing is, I will be honest and straightforward with you. You know, there's nothing in here that I'm not going to be, you know, transparent and give you my best information. I'm not going to say, oh, I'm, I'm only going to give the really good stuff for the people who who sign up. No, I'm, I'm going to try to give you my best information. I really believe that with these educational events, and of course, I'm trying to improve my business and get clients, but I also want to make sure that even if you don't do business with me, that you're still going to get a lot of value. I promise I will not waste your time. Um, 
all our time is very valuable, that I will give you actionable information. Um, and that is, I think, to me, one of the keys. This is not, or I don't want this to be an intellectual exercise where at the end you say, oh, okay, that's nice, and then turn on, you know, whatever you do, the TV, movies, uh, go for a walk, go back to work, whatever it is. I actually want this to make be the impetus of taking action, but very potentially before year end, that's going to be more concentrated on tomorrow's webinar, but also um, what, what to do to get the best estate plan. Um, I heard a really interesting definition of learning recently, and that it was that learning was a change in behavior. So we're not talking about an academic type learning where you discuss the <clears throat> scholarly literature with your fellow students and your professor. No, this is something that you learn something and then you actually take action on it. And again, whether it's with our firm, whether it's with um, existing advisors, and we have some do-it-yourselfers, although I would not recommend being a do-it-yourselfer for drafting wills, trusts, and IRA beneficiary designations, probably well more than 90% of the estate attorneys botch it anyway, so doing it on your own would be really tough. But hopefully you'll get some concepts of what should be in your estate plan uh, today. Um, again, we're going to take some questions, um, and then we have two hours of questions and answers that start at 12.30 Eastern. So what is the best estate plan for the Leave it to Beaver family, original husband, original wife, same kids? Well, that solution will be revealed in, in less than an hour. But first, in order to do, to really give the best estate plan, um, let's say a new level of understanding, we have to talk about a few core concepts. And some of these core concepts are critical, not just for estate planning, but also for retirement planning. One of the objections that I have had with some of the information that I give in this estate plan or this ideal estate plan is, hey, Jim, that's great for our kids and our grandkids, but what about us? Well, interestingly, some of the same strategies that are great for your kids and your grandkids are also great for you um, and for your spouse. So let's just take two people. <clears throat> let's take Mr. Green and Mr. Red. And Mr. Green and Mr. Red have identical financial situations. They have identical assets. They have identical spending, identical everything. They're both 62 years old. And Mr. Red says, hey, I think I want to hold off. Uh, I'm sorry. I want to take my Social Security now because I don't know what the government's going to do in the future. And I hate the idea of paying income taxes on a Roth IRA conversion. So let's call Mr. Red the status quo that is taking Social Security early and um, not doing a Roth conversion. And I'm going to assume that uh, both Mr. Red and Mr. Green are retired. So Mr. Red's Social Security is not going to be reduced by his wages. And Mr. Green, who is in the same situation to start, says, hey, Jim Lang said hold off on taking Social Security till 70, and he gave a very convincing 
argument and proof and actually wrote several books on the, on the topic. And he also said, combined with holding off on Social Security, doing a series of Roth IRA conversions. So then we find out that Mr. Red is a little bit better off for just a number of years. But then over time, given reasonable assumptions, and by the way, I'm going to be skipping the assumptions because when I was rehearsing, I was running out of time a little bit. So I'll just say that there are, there are reasonable assumptions that if anybody wants, we can provide them, but it would bore you to tears if I went through them. So I don't even have the slide for them. But given reasonable assumptions, Mr. Red runs out of money if he survives into his 90s, where Mr. Green has more than $2 million. So just think about this. Two families in the identical financial position at age 62, one ends up broke, one ends up with $2 million. And it's not because they invested differently. It's not because they spent differently, uh, et cetera, et cetera. It's because they use different strategies. So obviously, Mr. Green's family is going to be doing would be much better off than Mr. Red's family. But let's assume for discussion's sake that Mr. Green doesn't want to leave $2 million or maybe he has more money. He can actually spend more money. So these strategies are great for you and for your heirs. So now we're going to get to the bedrock principle of retirement and estate planning. And that is don't pay taxes now, pay taxes later, except for the Roth IRA. So Jane Bryan Quinn uh, actually did an article um, about me and my strategies back in 2001. And she joked that my mantra was pay taxes later, pay taxes later, pay taxes later. Um, and that was true. Then the Roth IRA came along. So I had to change my mantra from pay, don't pay taxes now, pay taxes later, to don't pay taxes now, pay taxes later, except for the Roth IRAs and Roth IRA conversions. This mantra, don't pay taxes now, pay taxes later, this applies in the accumulation stage. So we want you to contribute money to uh, a retirement plan. Prep, uh, obviously, a matching plan is the best then do Roths and Roth 401ks and Roth 403bs, et cetera. Then, and again, subject to a, uh, exception, then IRAs and retirement plans. And then the last way to save money is in what I'll call the after-tax dollars, where you earn the money, you pay the tax, you have some money left over, you invest the money, you pay taxes on the interest and dividends. Well, that's the, that's the least attractive. The best is, well, the best, of course, is matching, Second best is Roth, then after, then traditional IRA 401k, then after tax. That same bedrock principle applies in the distribution stage. The distribution stage is after you are done working and you go into your portfolio to support yourself and your family. So let's assume for discussion's sake, in the distribution stage, you have three types of money. You have Roth IRA dollars, traditional IRA dollars, and what I'll call after-tax dollars. Well, if you spend your IRA dollars first, uh, depending on your tax bracket, it might cost you $1.35 just to spend a dollar because you're going to have to pay tax on the $1.35 distribution, 
of 35 cents, you're left with a dollar. I don't like spending the Roth dollars because that's grown income tax-free for the rest of your life, the rest of your spouse's life, and for depending on who the beneficiary is, either for an extra 10 years after you're both gone or if it meets one of the exceptions for the rest of the uh, beneficiary's life. Um, but I do like spending what I call the after-tax dollars first. And that is the most important principle, um, again, not only in the accumulation stage, but in the distribution stage. But I'm going to take it a step further. I want you to pay taxes later except the Roth, even after you're gone. So what I'll call the estate planning stage. And that's really what comes to the heart of the SECURE Act. Because what the SECURE Act is doing, it, it is taking away our stretch IRA. That was the probably one of the greatest tax benefits that IRA owners had, um, frankly, throughout history. So what, what that meant was the IRA beneficiary could just take at first relatively small, then later greater distributions from their IRA and retirement plan um, and, and essentially pay taxes later because remember all that that inherited IRA money has not yet been taxed. So they have been paying taxes later, let's say uh, for all these years and that was commonly known as the stretch IRA. Now Congress comes along and what they call is the SECURE Act, I actually call it the IRA uh, owner's Children's Confiscation Act, your kids are going to have to pay or your non-spousal beneficiaries will have to pay income taxes on their on the entire IRA or retirement plan 10 years after you're gone. So let's take uh, two, two people. Um, they're both IRA beneficiaries. One inherits a million-dollar IRA uh, before the effective date of, of this law which was December 31, 2019. And let's, that's the in the serrated line. So let's assume for discussion's sake that the uh, child represented in the serrated line, given certain reasonable assumptions of, of income and spending and interest rates and tax rates, et cetera, et cetera, you'll see that that child projected over a lifetime will be broke um, in his 80s. Given the exact same assumptions, um, but let's say, I'm sorry, that was that's today's law. Mr. The child of Mr. Green, using the prior law, would have $2 million. So we're talking about the difference in the old law of your kid having $2 million versus your kid being broke. So this is pretty important stuff. This is not just like a little tweak in the law that you can kind of ignore. This is the difference between potentially your children having $2 million or having nothing. So it really pays to uh, take a look at what the law is and more importantly, what you can do about it. So again, the idea is the new law, if you have a non-spousal beneficiary and no more exceptions, and you don't qualify for that, any of the exceptions, the money has to come out within 10 years of your death. All right, so what are some of the exceptions? 
thank goodness, the most important exception is your surviving spouse. The surviving spouse gets to use the old law, meaning that they could do an IRA rollover, technically a trustee to trustee transfer, and they can stretch the IRA for actually the same way that you could, the same way you calculate your minimum required distributions, which to oversimplify is the joint life expectancy of you and somebody deemed 10 years younger than you. So your spouse can do the same thing. Um, there are certain exceptions for minor children, uh, but only during their minority. Uh, so if you, if you die and leave your money to a 10-year-old, uh, the 10-year-old can use the old law until they reach, well, depending on the state, 18 or 21. Then they have to start, then the 10-year clock starts coming. Um, a very important exception that we're not going to spend a lot of time with because it only relates to a limited number of people is if you have a disabled beneficiary or a beneficiary who is chronically ill. So again, most people will not have a beneficiary in that class, but if you do, it is critical to get this right for a couple reasons. One, it can be, again, the difference between being broke and having $2 million, but if you have a healthy child um, who is capable of working and, and, and providing for themselves and their family, it's tragic enough if they have, end up at zero instead of $2 million, because, but at least they could support themselves. Uh, a disabled or chronically ill child might, or grandchild might not be able to support themselves. So this is really important. We, have, we include a lot of information in our book, Beating the New Death Tax, on that. We're not going to really cover that today because, again, it, it only applies to a limited number of people. But for the people it does apply to, it's really critical to get that right because you have to have the right kind of trust. The trust must meet the special needs to protect from creditors, and it also must protect the stretch IRA. So you have to have five specific conditions. Another uh, exception is if the beneficiary is 10 years or less younger than you. Now that will typically be an unmarried partner, maybe a sibling, but obviously not a child or not a grandchild. The other critical exception that you can actually take advantage of, even if you're not that charitable, is charities and charitable remainder trust um, are an exception to the SECURE Act. So again, dire consequences of the SECURE Act but there are some exceptions, the most important being your surviving spouse. And I try not to get political, but I really think the SECURE Act is a horrendous law. And I think it's a taking um, from, frankly, your children and your grandchildren and the beneficiaries of your IRA and indirectly you, does not justify. Because for many years, the government said, okay, if you contribute to your IRAs and your 401ks and your 403bs and your SEPs and your KEOs, we're going to give you a tax break. We're going to let you distribute that money and pay taxes over a long period of time. And then after you die, we're going to let your kids and your grandkids and your other beneficiaries stretch that um, or defer that income tax over their lifetimes. So, 
what many of you did is you said, hey, that's a great deal. I think I'm going to do that. And if you're like many of my clients, you skimped and you, you saved and you put as much money as you could afford into these types of retirement plans. Now, for many of you, late in the game, the government says, hey, we decided that we're going to change our rules. We're going to tax the you-know-what out of our kids within 10 years of your death. And I really think that that's just unfair. There's a concept in the law called detrimental reliance, where you relied on either an existing word or an existing promise, and then that promise was broken and you are damaged. Well, unfortunately, you can't sue the government, but what you can do is take advantage of the existing laws to minimize the damage of this SECURE Act. So again, the heirs can't stretch the IRA. So with a Roth IRA, remember with the Roth IRA, you've already paid the taxes. Um, your heirs don't have to pay taxes on an inherited Roth IRA, but and under the old law, they could have stretched or taken very small distributions in the early years, much bigger distributions in the later years, all tax-free. But under today's law, they can't stretch that inherited Roth IRA for uh, their entire lifetimes. They must withdraw the whole thing in 10 years. Now, by the way, there will be different strategies for inheriting a Roth than inheriting a traditional IRA that, we'll, that we will get to. Okay, so let's go, let's go to some of the exceptions. I mentioned the surviving spouse, qualifying charities, and here's the big one, um, charitable remainder trust. And we're gonna talk about charitable remainder trust as the beneficiary of your IRA and retirement plan instead of naming your kids. Uh, I mentioned disabled and chronically ill children and minor children. So let's talk about the biggest problem for estate planning. And it, it, there's no easy answer to it, although I believe that the solution that I'm going to suggest is the best solution. The, one of the great problems with estate planning and retirement planning for that matter, but this is really focused on estate planning, is we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what the law is going to be like when you die. Very frankly, there, you know, we had some people die right before year end, and the planning or the post-mortem planning of what we're going to be recommending to our clients is radically different than if they had died just a week later after year end. Um, after the SECURE Act was in place. So if we had done a traditional fixed in stone, here's what's going to happen type document, we, we would have had a terrible result if the IRA owner had died, for example, after year end, when we were just basing the, law, basing the estate plan on the law at the time. Because the truth is, we don't know what's going to happen. And yes, we had a major change in the law, but we continually have major changes in the law. And to think that this is the, la the SECURE Act is the last major change in the law, I think is kind of naive. If you are married, 
Then the other thing that we don't know is who's going to die first. Is the husband going to die first? Is the wife going to die first? Now it could be husband and husband and wife and wife, but um, we just don't know that. And who dies first could have a huge impact on what the plan should be. Another thing we don't know, we don't know how much money is going to be there. Uh, for whatever it's worth, I have a lot of clients who are very worried about going broke. And the majority of our clients, um, at least in the last probably 20 years, typically end up dying with more money than when I met them. And it's not because I'm such a brilliant investor. It is because that is just the nature of some of their thinking and, and the market and very frankly, uh, the fear of not knowing when we're going to die causes us to be more conservative in our spending. So the truth is, we just don't know how much money will be left. And I have a lot of clients who assume that there's going to be not much, but they're not act, they're, that's just not a good assumption. The other thing that we don't know, we don't know what the needs of the survivors are going to be. Maybe your spouse is going to be, um, let's say, in a situation where they don't need a lot of money. Uh, maybe their housing is uh, taken care of. They have a pension and Social Security. Uh, they have way more money than they need. Um, on the other hand, maybe you have an expensive last illness. Maybe the market goes down 30%, and maybe the surviving spouse is in significant need. Um, we don't know what the tax rates are going to be. Uh, we don't know what the tax laws are going to be. We don't know when you're going to die. We don't even know many times which state you're going to be a resident where you die. Um, and we don't know necessarily where your survivors are going to be. And since the state laws are so different regarding IRAs and retirement plans, that's all important information. And, and, and I'm going to be very honest with you. We love doing projections. We run the numbers. We do financial plans. We say, well, here's where your kids will be, you know, in 40 years. If you do this series of Roth IRA conversions, here's where they'll be if you don't. Here's where they'll be if you make the gifts. Here's if you don't. Here's if you do a charitable maker trust. Here's if you don't. Life insurance here if you don't. Blah, 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 blah. And then the real art is combining these different strategies. And we've done thousands of these projections. And, you know, to me, it's it's really important and you can get a much better idea of the best action plan if you do make these projections. But I'll also be honest with you, every single one that we ever did was wrong. Whatever we thought was gonna happen, something else happened. That doesn't mean that the projections are valuable and points us in the right direction, but to think that we know where you're going to be, unless maybe you're terminally ill and it's a relatively short period, but for us to say, hey, yes, this is what's going to happen. This is where the family's going to be um, at the end of the, let's say, first person's life or the surviving spouse's life, that's, that's just not accurate. So then the question becomes, with all these uncertainties and our inability to accurately predict what is going to happen, how can you appropriately maximize the benefit to your heirs of your estate plan. And how do you make this decision? Well, what if you don't decide? <laughs> it's too tough. 
you're not going to decide. Well, gee, how can, if you don't decide, then what do you do? You preserve flexibility for your survivors. So what are some of the common goals of, I'll go back to the Leave it to Beaver family. And obviously protecting both of you, husband and wife, while you're still alive, that's usually number one. You know, I don't think anybody in the history of the world ever came into their estate attorney and said, my goal was to have my grandchildren so stinking rich they never have to work a day in their life. It just doesn't, doesn't happen. You know, and again, I've been doing this for 35 years. People come in and say, the most important thing is that both of us are okay and we can maintain lifestyle or even better during our lifetime. The second most important thing is that the surviving spouse can also be protected uh, after the first spouse dies. Um, and to me and to the vast majority of the clients that I have seen, that's even more important than saving taxes um, for the next generation. But if you can cut taxes and provide for both of you and provide for the surviving spouse and get the most to your family, that is, you know, the, the best solution. So if your goals are, let's say, protect both of you uh, while you're both here, protect the survivor, and then after the survivor dies, uh, pass money typically to children, not necessarily though, but let's assume children for, to keep life simple uh, in the most tax efficient manner. So you could potentially save your kids a couple hundred thousand, a million, maybe more. Um, if you could type yes in the chat area, uh, if those are your basic goals, that will also uh, give us uh, some information and um, Eric, if you want to um, give us a report on the, the results, if you have maybe a percentage or a rough percentage of the people who have that traditional Leave it to Beaver family and the people who said, yes, my goals are protect both of us, number one, protect the survivor, number two, save taxes, number three, uh, that would also be helpful. So let's take a look at the different beneficiaries. Number one, your spouse. Uh, number two, your kids. Number three, your grandkids. Let's talk about the benefits of naming your spouse. Before we even get into the tax benefits, what about just plain old, you love your spouse. You want to make sure that your spouse is provided for at your death, and that's the most important thing. So what most IRA and retirement plan owners do um, with the vast majority of their, and really we're talking about IRAs, which is kind of the focus of this workshop, and frankly is the focus of our practice. So we have gobs of people with between, let's say, one and five million dollars of IRAs, and typically smaller amounts outside the IRA environment, um, which is much different than, say, an estate attorney that might cater to businesses or other specialty areas. We are specialists, but it is in the IRA world. If you leave your IRA, when I say IRA, I'm also expanding that to 401k, 403b, SEP, KEO, et cetera, um, to your surviving spouse, first of all, uh, there's no estate, federal estate or transfer tax. There's no state inheritance or transfer tax at the state level. The spouse gets to take advantage of the old law 
where they could stretch the IRA, known often as a spousal IRA, for the joint life expectancy of themselves and somebody 10 years younger. And if the, uh, if the type of IRA is a Roth IRA, there's going to be no required minimum distributions, not only for you, but also for your surviving spouse. So there's a whole host of reasons why we want to name our surviving spouse as the beneficiary. What about children? Well, under the new law, the minor children who might be in a very low tax bracket still have some stretch IRA, so uh, that might be one reason to do it. The other reason to potentially leave some IRA money to children is frankly because they need the money. Um, one of the common mistakes that I see clients make after many years is even if they get the Roth right, they get the estate plan right, they get the um, investments right, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is the unspoken plan is to accumulate, 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 uh, leave everything to the surviving spouse. The surviving spouse accumulates, accumulates, accumulates. Surviving spouse dies when uh, the kids are maybe in their 60s by now. Then, at least with this new law, there's a massive tax. So your kids get... Um, even a big estate, but radically reduced by taxes, but they get it much later in their life. Uh, that's not necessarily a good plan. It might be better to have the kids get some money before the second spouse dies. Um, so that's a couple good reasons to leave money to children. There's also some good reasons to leave money to a grandchild. Um, maybe the kids don't need the money. Maybe your children are doing very well and it makes more sense to skip them, have that money go to grandchildren, or obviously the grandchildren are young, a trust for the grandchildren. Although again, if you do a trust, the trust must meet five specific conditions in order to get what stretch IRA there is left. Um, the other thing that we have done is we have sometimes skipped children in favor of grandchildren or trust for grandchildren. If the child is... Um, has some creditors, or even sometimes if the child is in an inherently risky uh, business or profession, maybe they're uh, a surgeon, that one lawsuit could just wipe out their whole savings. Well, maybe in that situation, uh, we skip the child surgeon and um, leave money to the grandchildren instead. And then, unfortunately, more and more frequently, we are dealing with what we call the no good son-in-law or the no good daughter-in-law. And we don't have time to cover it today, but um, in a different workshop, we actually have a trust that we call the I don't want my no good son-in-law to inherit one red cent of my money trust. And unfortunately, that is becoming more and more popular. Um, so if your spouse is your first choice, your kids are your next choice, and grandchildren or appropriate trust for the grandchildren is your third choice. If Again, if you could please type yes in the chat area, that will again give me some idea of if, if the things that I'm talking about are consistent with the people out there. You know, one of the problems with the webinar is other than the chat area, um, I can't physically see people. I can't read their expressions 
uh, et cetera, et cetera. And I've been doing in-person workshops for probably 20 years, and only this year started doing webinars because obviously it's not safe, at least at this point, to do an in-person uh, workshop. So let's talk about the traditional answer to this problem of uncertainty. The traditional answer is what I call I love you, Wills. I leave everything to you, my spouse. I leave everything to you, my spouse. So husband's leaving to wife, wife is leaving to husband. At the second death, the money goes to the kids equally, unless one of the children predecease you, in which case the share of the predeceased child would go into a well-drafted trust for the benefit of the grandchild. And by the way, the I love you wills are much, much better than nothing. And many of you probably have them. Uh, probably the biggest problem with them is that the trust for the grandchildren don't have the five conditions in order to qualify as a designated beneficiary of the IRA to get the most stretch, whatever is left, um, whether, there's, whether it applies to, for an exception or just for a regular 10-year stretch, which is certainly better than immediate taxation. So that's the traditional answer. And let's even assume that they get the stretch IRA language right, which probably more than 90% of the estate attorneys don't get it right. Then there's the thinking solution. Ah, I know, based on today's conditions, it makes sense for the children to get X, the grandchildren to get X, the surviving spouse to get X. Um, and then, well, we're going to leave the after-tax dollars to the surviving spouse, and we're going to leave the IRA dollars to the children. And by the way, last year, that might have made some sense because the children could stretch the inherited IRA over their lifetime, where the surviving spouse would have a much faster distribution. So what some people do is they take their best guess, and then they draft the documents. And the traditional thinking is, you know, you do this every two or three years, and that way you keep your documents up to date. And sometimes thinking out what's going to happen will give you greater benefits. And theoretically, the situation changes, you change your documents. Well, let me tell you the reality. People don't review their wills every two or three years, probably every, every closer to every 10 or 20. I'm not saying that you should, even with the flexible solution, maybe every 10 or 20 is probably more typical of what I see. So I, I always read people's wills before, actually be, even before I have the consultation, because I want to see the starting point. And, you know, I might see a clause in there that says, if something happens to me and my wife, um, the care of our child will go to uh, Uncle Frank and Aunt Sue. And that's where little Johnny will uh, become, they will become little Johnny's guardian. And I said, well, that's, that's uh, very nice. How old is little Johnny now? 47? Um, so the truth is people just don't change their wills very often. And to have a solution that can quickly be outdated and that could potentially lose hundreds of thousands of dollars um, in taxes to the children is not the great I best idea. So... Here it is, drum roll with all that built up. What is the best idea? You don't decide now. It's too tough. There's just too many unknowns. So what can you do? You let 
your heirs make the decision of who gets what, not now while you're both alive and drafting these documents, but at least for the, after the first death, you let the surviving spouse make all those decisions. After the second death, you let the children make all those decisions. So with 2020 hindsight, you can say, okay, we're going to let the spouse or the kids decide who gets what when all the information is known. Because then you're going to know the tax rates. You're going to know how much money is left. You're going to know the situation for the kids and grandkids, et cetera, et cetera. So this plan is, um, and it depends on who you, uh, your source of reading, what the name of this plan is. If you go to the Snooty Peer Review articles, uh, or if you go to the Wall Street Journal, uh, this plan, which by the way, I, I, if you type it in Google, if you just type cascading beneficiary plan in Google, you'll get, I don't know, 100,000 responses, probably more. And the first, with, with a limited exception, maybe the first couple hundred will all in one way or another point back to me. Now, if you look at my literature, I don't call it just the cascading beneficiary plan. I call it Lang's cascading beneficiary plan. And I would submit to you that the Lang's cascading beneficiary plan, by the way, it's the same thing, but the Snooty peer review journals don't like to put a name to it other than say cascading beneficiary plan. It has the advantage of number one, you're leaving everything to your surviving spouse as a starting point. So that is the best protection your surviving spouse can have, but it allows the possibility that your surviving spouse will have money going to the children, um, even if they are alive at the first death. Also, the children will have the option of keeping what is left to them. Again, and this could work for an IRA, a Roth IRA, an annuity, after-tax dollars, a house, etc., life insurance, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They have the choice of either keeping that or disclaiming. Oops, I gave the <laughs> I gave the magic word away um, of disclaiming these or a portion, and that's critical. They don't have to do it. This isn't an all-or-nothing deal. You know, they inherit a million dollars. They might want a um, hundred thousand to go to the grandchildren or they might want the after-tax dollars to go to the grandchildren and only a portion of it. But you give the children the option of keeping or typically disclaiming into trust for the benefit of their children. So you have this very, very flexible plan. And as long as you trust your spouse, and again, if we're talking about the leave it to beaver couple, we're talking about original husband, original spouse, um, same kids, you have the same beneficiaries, you have the same kids, you have the same grandkids. So you let your surviving spouse make that decision when more information is known and presumably with the help of the estate attorney, the financial advisor, if there is one, uh, and frankly, other family members. Um, so I believe that for the, let's say the traditional leave it to beaver family, that this is a great solution for your, the best estate plan. And again, we call it a cascade because it literally streams from spouse to children to grandchildren. And we get it there through a concept called disclaimers. So disclaimers 
basically says, I don't want it, or I don't need it, or I don't want a portion of it. And again, it can be the IRA, the after-tax dollars, insurance, house, annuities, whatever it is. I don't want it, or I don't need it. I'm not allowed to say where it goes, but it goes next in line. So if you have disclaimer documents, if you have disclaimers in your documents, so for example, the way we might, I'll paraphrase the we draft, uh, I leave everything to my spouse. If my spouse doesn't want or need all the money, I give them the right to disclaim as much or as little as they need, including all the types of assets. Um, and here's where it goes if they do disclaim, and typically you will name children equally. Then each child has the right to further disclaim their share or a portion of their share to uh, the, let's say, your grandchildren. And uh, the idea is, is you're preserving flexibility in a world that is uncertain with all the uncertainties that I mentioned earlier. And I would say that this cascading beneficiary plan is really a system because to get the absolute most out of your retirement and estate plan, you want to preserve flexibility in all your assets. In other words, don't say, oh, well, we'll give some flexibility in this asset, but not that asset. No, because just as an example, last year, 2019, if we had disclaiming uh, being appropriate, we would have disclaimed IRA dollars. And by the way, we did. We dis for some clients, we disclaimed well over a million dollars in the IRA that went to either the kids or even the grandkids who were able to enjoy that long stretch inherited IRA. And we saved some families a million dollars or more. But uh, with the identical fact situation, if you had a death in 2020 or beyond, if we were going to disclaim, since the IRA is uh, more favorable for the surviving spouse because of the SECURE Act, we might disclaim some after-tax dollars. But the, the flexible documents that we have been doing, and we've been doing them, by the way, since the mid-90s, would preserve the option of coming up with the best solution after year-end. Um, and so we advocate this system for wills, revocable trust, IRAs, retirement plans, Roth IRAs, uh, life insurance, uh, unless you're trying to keep it out of the estate, uh, in which case you do an irrevocable life insurance trust where you give up flexibility in return for keeping the life insurance out of the estate. Uh, it works for annuities. Um, and for whatever it's worth, we started doing it, I should, I should say I, because um, I actually used to do the drafting myself back uh, in the mid-90s. I thought it was a great idea, and then and I started doing it in practice. Then um, I wrote it up in a peer review article uh, that appeared to the tax advisor. I wrote books that were endorsed by Charles Schwab and Jane Brian Quinn and Ed Slott and Larry King and Bert Malkiel, and I think about 60 more. So this this solution isn't a wild cowboy idea. This is very well accepted in the uh, literature. So that is, let's say, the starting point. Now, a lot of times it needs tweaking, but that is the starting point for a um, the best estate plan for the Leave it to Beaver uh, families.
So we're going to take a couple questions, but I will just mention this. Um, we, this is the biggest webinar we've ever had. Uh, we had 700 people sign up. I have limited free consultations. That, and as you would expect, at the end of this, I am going to offer a free consultation. And we'll go through the um, th through who qualifies, et cetera, et cetera. But um, part of it is going to be first come, first serve. And if you've already heard enough, even if you live outside of Pennsylvania, knowing that we can't draft your documents, but we can help you with your estate plan, we can run the numbers, we can manage money. If you've heard enough, say, yeah, gee, I, I, I need to talk to Jim. Um, again, we're, we're just going to run out of capacity before year end. That's, that's not an if, that's a certainty. Um, if you've heard enough, say, yes, I want to sign up. Um, there is a there should be a sign up uh, area in the chat box, and you'll be given the cho choice of signing up to do the estate plan. It's just the estate plan that's limited to Pennsylvania residents only. Uh, to run the numbers, which is the financial master plan, which I haven't really described very very much, um, or actually assets under management. And I know that you don't really have enough information to make a complete choice. But if you know that, hey, I know enough that I do want to take advantage of this free consultation with Jim, you might want to sign that, sign up now, um, because there's a very good chance that if you don't, I'm not going to be able to get to you before year end. I'm going to be working very hard. I'm going to be working Saturdays, et cetera, et cetera. But I can probably only handle maybe three, maybe four consultations a day. Uh, when I describe what happens with the consultation and what happens afterwards, you'll see why that is true. But again, we are crushed. You might want to do that. While people are doing that, uh, why don't we take a few questions? We hope you enjoyed this special edition of James Lang's Retire Secure Podcast, where smart money talks. If you've had your questions answered and want to schedule an appointment to meet with Jim, Call our offices at 1-800-387-1129. That number again is 1-800-387-1129. If you would like to attend one of Jim's upcoming virtual events, go to paytaxeslater.com forward slash webinars. That address again is paytaxeslater.com forward slash webinars to reserve your virtual spot today.